0: Welcome to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. Our show is all about the exciting world of real estate, and in particular, how it relates to the lucrative New York market. But if you're not planning a real estate transaction in New York, we still have plenty of information that you can use no matter where you are. Now, here's your host, Vince Rocco. All right, good morning, everyone, and welcome back to the program. Happy New Year, our first day back in
1: 2019, and we're all excited. We are live here in New York City as Good Good Morning New York gets underway this Tuesday morning, this very cold Tuesday morning, at this hour, at a time when a lot of people talk about being global, leading RE truly lives it, having built a powerful international presence long before being global was in fashion. With members in over 65 countries, they have connections in all corners of the world, extending memberships only to firms that are leaders in the markets. They serve and share values like local insight, global world, view, trusted experience, and high performances. I will talk to two of the company's executives live in this hour. Also at this hour, local New York City real estate became a buyer's market in 2018, displaying all the inconsistencies that have plagued the industry for much of the year. Even with so much up and down, the latest news is that the ultra-prime luxury market with listings over $25 million have started to show great signs of recovery and sales have been recorded. What do we predict for the year 2019, better or worse? My esteemed panel is on board with us this morning to tackle this and so much more. I've missed them. We are back, so let's get at it. But first, I'd like to welcome my listeners in the United States and around the world. I'm Vince Rocco, and again, you're listening to Good Morning New York Real Estate. In the news this morning, Governor Andrew Cuomo announced, oh, this is great news, that the L train tunnel would not, I repeat, not fully shut down in April of this year as originally planned. Here's what the MTA now plans to do with the original... uh, scrapping the original subway plan. So, the original plan said there will be no L train service between 8th Avenue in Manhattan and Bedford Avenue in Brooklyn. The shutdown was scheduled to take 15 months. The new plan says there will be full L train service during the weekdays. Work is to occur in one of the tunnels, two tubes on nights and weekends, and the work is estimated to take 15 to 20 months. The MTA has said that the shutdown, which was scheduled to begin this uh, this April 27th, was necessary to repair damage from Hurricane Sandy in 2012, Mr. Cuomo said that this new design of the system had never been tried before in the United States. I don't know if I can tell, he said, laughing, but these engineers are excited. And I say, being excited is one thing. Let's hope it all works. Anyway, in Manhattan, real estate uh, Manhattan real estate closes 2018 as the worst year since the financial crisis. Manhattan home sales fell 14% last year. The industry's steepest drop since 2009, according to new data. In the fourth quarter, the median price for an apartment in New York City fell one fell below $1 million for the first time in three years. That's big. The decline in sales is the fourth quarter. In the fourth quarter, was the fifth straight quarterly drop. I believe and maintain that we can only go up from here, and 2019 is going to be a good year. So buckle up. We're in for some ride. Our topic of the week today is leading real estate companies of the world, or leading RE as it's called. It is the home of the world's market-leading Independent residential brokerages in over 70 countries with 565 firms and 130,000 sales associates producing over 1.1 million transactions valued at $372 billion annually. This by invitation only network is based on the unparalleled performance and trusted relationships that result in exceptional client experiences. They have a mission to create a network comprised of only the best locally and regionally branded firms Focused on raising the bar in real estate today, they lead the industry in reputation and a long list of metrics related to sales, market coverage, and more. Leading RE's mantra is making the best brokerages better by providing these local brands with world-class business resources and national global connections. With me this morning is Paul Homswa. He is the President and Chief Executive Officer of Leading Real Estate Companies of the World, or as I said, Leading RE. He has served as the company's chief operating officer and president of his luxury portfolio international division, and he succeeds longtime CEO Pam O'Connor, who announced her retirement from leading RE last January. Paul begins more, brings more than 20 years of real estate experience to his new position. He began his career uh, marketing luxury office towers, later heading marketing for a top Chicago residential firm before becoming national marketing director for a major franchise. He is responsible for creating Luxury Portfolio International, the highly successful high-end marketing division of Leading RE, and subsequently was tasked with also heading operations and strategic marketing for Leading RE as its COO. Stephanie Anton, who has served as Executive Vice President of Luxury uh, Portfolio International, was also promoted as part of the Leading RE Succession Plan and is now President of Luxury Portfolio, a graduate of Boston University. With a Master's in Integrative Marketing from Northwestern, she has over 15 years of experience in real estate and luxury marketing for brokerages and networks and has been instrumental in building luxury portfolio for the past 12 years. And also, Richard Grossman is here from Halstead uh, Manhattan and Halstead Real Estate, and he and all of Halstead participate greatly in this uh, leading RE endeavor, and we're going to talk all about that. So, good morning, uh, Stephanie and Paul.
2: How are you?
3: Good morning. Um, thank you for having
2: us. Thank you very much. We appreciate the opportunity. My
1: That's pleasure. A beautiful introduction. <laughs> well, it's all you guys. It's not me. <clears throat> anyway, Paul, let me start with you. So, you know, after you know, listening to that introduction, can you give our listeners again? This is around the world, so it's global, and it maps to your strategy perfectly. But what is the mission of leading Ori?
2: Sure. Thank you. Um, You know, really what we're about is we're a collection of the best brokerages and our job is to make them better. Um, uh, We we always say when when we talk to a a member or a new member, um, they don't need us to be successful, um, but they'll be more successful when they join us because we really do uh, three main things. One is we foster doing business together. Uh, We make an introduction uh, between one of our members somewhere in the world approximately every five minutes, um, and that business closes. We do a tremendous amount of uh, client sharing, things like that, so there's a lot of referral activity that occurs. Uh, The other thing that we do is we, we learn from each other. We have an amazing internal uh, learning platform. Uh, We do a lot of different types of uh, exchange groups where people can foster ideas. Uh, get together on different topics, share their profitability. Uh, so it's kind of a think tank idea. And then the other thing is we're very collaborative. Uh, we collaborate on new innovations. Um, and again, rather than having each of our brokerages come to the table having to build everything themselves, uh, we're an organization where they can share ideas. We can come whip up with new technologies, or hopefully foster um, you know an idea with a vendor, um, and hopefully find ways to share things so that they don't have to pay to. Build everything, or spend the time to build everything, because as we know today, it's all about innovation. Um, and each of our firms is, is very innovative in their own front. Um, but there, you can really save a lot of time and money and move to the market faster if you do it with somebody else or with a group.
1: So, how then do you uh, decide what firm, what brokerage, regardless of where in the world they may reside? How do you decide who is a best, the best fit for? Um, You know, leading RE. What is the criteria that potentially you go through to qualify brokerages? I mean, because there are, you know, leading brokerages all over the place. How do you decide who's best fit for you?
2: Well, first of all, thank you for saying for the best fit, um, because there are many good brokerages out there, and, th- and there are some that are not part of our network, and we certainly don't want to deem them to be not good brokerages. Um, but it is a certain fit that is needed, um, and one of the things that we look for is, first of all, they have to be a strong market share player. They have to have a, a, a strong uh, market share in the footprint that they serve um, so that they can truly represent leading real estate companies in the world. The other thing is there's a lot of it that is really a part of culture. Uh, They need to be collaborative. They need to be willing to share ideas. They need to be willing to participate Uh, when it comes to it's great to receive business, but they need to uh, be willing to equally promote pushing business to other members as well. Um, So that's another thing that we measure. The other piece of it is, quite honestly, how well do they do that business? We track the transactions that go between our members. We don't track every single transaction, but if there's a business going from, say, Richard's firm uh, to somewhere in London or somewhere in Houston, um, we look at the metrics and make sure that the business that's coming from and going to our members is being handled Um, I I say sometimes it's almost like a VIP experience. If you entrust one of your clients to somebody somewhere else in the world – um, that's a reflection on you personally, and you need to know that that other broker and the other agents in that other firm are going to treat them as good or better than what you would. So there's yeah. a tremendous amount of trust that goes with that, and we measure that. If that if that is not being handled prop- properly, um, each year you know each of our firms uh, gets a renewal letter. Um, or I should say. Almost all of our firms get it to a renewal letter, but each year there are some firms that we don't reinvite, and and it's not a surprise to them. We we have discussions with them, but we say, hey, you're not quite fitting our mold, and so that's why I appreciate how you started by saying, you know, what what do you do to make sure that a firm fits with leading RE? But it's really having a commitment to the quality, having a commitment to collaborate, um, and a commitment to be a leader in your market. So
1: it's, it's basically a a startup of a, a one year you know kind of trial program and then if it doesn't really fit for either side it it just kind of goes away and they they're not renewed again. What are the technology trends that you are seeing in your organization and how is it affecting the future? Because as we look at technology, even in our in our uh, local brokerages here in New York City, uh, they're significant in in uh, agent growth. Uh, and in firm-wide growth. So, how, you know, what what do you see in tra- that's trending in technology for your organization?
2: Well, I think the real trend, and this is in, in our business, but really in all businesses, um, you know, the iPhone has been such a driver of consumer uh, transparency on all things that they are involved with. So, one of the things that our industry hasn't been as advanced with is really being able to share all the details of a transaction. Um, You know, I I don't think that there's a lack of transparency in the sense when – I don't love it when people say that because it sounds like something is trying to be hidden from them. What I would say is uh, some of the things that are happening in a transaction are not as easy to find as others. For example, if you're getting – if you're going through the sale and you have a home inspection – you rely on your agent to call the other agent to call the home inspector, uh, so it's a little bit of a ring around the rosy. Whereas uh, having systems in place where that information can be easily displayed right on the uh, customer's iPhone to say, hey, the uh, inspection was taking place today, it's completed, everything is done, and you could see the report right there by clicking on it. Um, those are the types of things that I think some of the new uh, innovative companies that have come into the market recently, they have an advantage that they're building a company from the ground up, and that can be one of their core uh, uh, operating uh, issues. Uh, for us, we we didn't really build our company based on those types of technology deliverables. So now we have to retrofit. And we, we're doing that. We're looking at uh, how do we make sure that all of our vendors are compatible? How do they speak the same language? How do they share common APIs? Uh, because we believe that uh, while we offer tremendous service, uh, consumers want to, to be able to see everything happening uh, closer to real time, uh, right in the palm of their hand, um, and not have to wait to call somebody to find out what's going on. So those are the things that we're in the development of, uh, and we're, we'll, we're moving very quickly. Um, but again, it's not just us, it's a lot of the vendors we deal with as well. And so it's, it's really a great shift, I think, for the whole entire industry, um, but it's definitely being pushed by some of the startups and some of the new folks, uh, which have great ideas. Um, they don't necessarily yet have the market share, and they don't necessarily have the leadership positions in the industry, um, but, you know, they're, they're innovative and they're terrific, and, you know, I've often said all of our firms uh, got into this business as independents because they felt they could do something different, and they felt they could do it better. So that startup spirit may not be as, as prevalent when you see companies that have around for as long as they are, uh, but they all started with that same startup innovative mentality, and it still exists in all of them today. So we're, we're moving things forward in technology very quickly.
1: All right, we have to leave it there and take a break. We'll be back uh, to find out more about Leading RE. This is Good Morning New York and the Voice America Variety Channel. Don't go away.
0: Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com.
4: It's not easy to make it big in New York City. It's even harder to sustain that success for decades. However, two teams have defied those odds due to their formulas for success. Both have all-star rosters, performing at the top of their game. Each have an undying commitment to greatness, a willingness to evolve, superior training programs, and ownership that invests heavily in their product. It only seemed natural for the world's most valuable sports brand to partner with Halstead, a market leader in the New York metro area, and now proudly serving as the official luxury
3: Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at VoiceAmerica.com and click register at the top right.
0: The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Good Morning New York, Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Now, back to the show. All right, everybody, we are back, and we're talking to Paul and Stephanie
1: from Leading RE. Um, Paul, one other question uh, about the marketplace. So, uh, Manhattan real estate, for example, suffered its worst year since the housing crash of 2008, as you heard me talk about at the top of the show. And, you know, based on tax changes, stock market turmoil, you know, jittery foreign buyers uh, not knowing what, what or where to invest, how has it affected your business overall or, or has it? I mean, because I, I would assume that the rest of the country here in the U.S. is not doing any better than we are in Manhattan or had, had been in 2018.
2: So, so the, thank you. The, first of all, my condolences. Uh, you are you are having a terrible uh, end of year, and that nobody likes that. And it doesn't feel good. Uh, the one thing I'll say is you are a little unique in the sense that you're probably one of the more distressed markets in our country right now, wow. um, and and this is not a nice thing to say. So I don't mean it. I don't mean it to sound this way, but you also are one of our best markets for many years. So you're a little bit in a recovery mode. Um, The rest of the country, depending on the market you're in, um, some are actually doing better right now than they were a few years ago when you were having Gangbuster. um, And there were many parts of the market that weren't. So it's a very unique market in the sense that it's now very, um, it's very fragmented. Um, and we see some markets like Chicago, where we're based, is just flat all the time. Um, there's rarely much of an increase. There's rarely much of a decrease. Um, and the folks here find that rather frustrating. Uh, Florida, as you know, is doing quite well. They're, they're the recipients of people who are looking to change some of their tax status. Um, other markets, uh, Tucson, which was flat for quite a while, has seen a bit of a comeback and a bit of a turnaround. Um, so it's very fragmented. It's very unique. Um, and, and it's, it's not something um, that is. I can't say there's a global trend. The one thing that we're a little bullish about, and I think that everybody in, in Manhattan should feel good about, is the fact that, first of all, um, we're seeing globally that urban locations are the future, um, that at least for the near future, for the next 20, some 30 years, um, urban destinations are what are growing. And people are, are, are if they're not in an urban destination, they're, they're growing. Uh, and we see that. And you clearly are, are our largest urban destination. So I think that speaks very well. And you've seen the growth of Manhattan and the boroughs. Um, Correct. The areas outside, uh, north of you, Westchester, Putnam, and Dutchess County, those are some of the areas that, that are not necessarily demographically as desirable. They're gorgeous areas, uh, but the millennials are not quite ready to go to that uh, lifestyle yet. And we see it in New Jersey. We see it in the bedroom communities of Illinois, of uh, Michigan, all these things. It's just the, the lifestyle is not exactly the number one thing, just like there was a flight from the city, you know, 30, 40 years ago. Um, But the one thing I would say is we're bullish about the economy in the sense that the demographics of the millennials will help to continue to push for additional housing. Um, So, And and, and the economy, hopefully, you know, these things don't die of old age in our Australia market. They're in their 27th year of a booming economy. So economies can just keep going. But a lot of it is fueled by demographics.
1: Uh, Paul, I have Richard Grossman here, president of Halstead, as you well know. So, Richard, I wanted to ask you what... um what we, we, you, or Halstead gets out of uh, involvement with Leading RE, I know it's a very big focus within our company. Uh, Diane Ramirez, I think, is also on the board.
5: Sure. That- let, me, let me go through some things. So Halstead has been a member of Leading RE since 1993. Diane Ramirez currently serves as a, is a vice chair of Leading RE, and she'll be becoming chair of the board uh, this February. Uh, I'm on the advisory board of Luxury Portfolio, along, which is run by Stephanie. Um, Kim Barkoff, as a relocation director, serves on the leading RE Advisory Council. Um, We regularly participate in the Maestro program, which is a leadership training program that is geared to enhancing skills to people that work with agents. Um, We attend the annual conference, uh, and we usually have a fairly high attendance there. Last year at the conference in Las Vegas, we had over 40 uh, agents there. You were one of them. You were at our conference last year. We attended the global symposium that this past year was in Barcelona. We had over 10 uh, agents attend, including... Sean uh, McPeak, which is sitting next to me, um, and we're very involved in speaking engagements in, in the things. Sean spoke at the uh, at the global symposium. I've spoke at the uh, leading RE conference last year. I think as Dan did as well, um, and I think we had an agent or two speak it there as well. Um, so we're involved in a lot of ways. We get a lot out of it. It's an incredible forum to meet people who are doing the same business we're doing in other parts of the country, other parts of the world. In addition to the referrals we see back and forth, we're getting information. Like even in terms of our, you know, I started going to the conferences maybe seven or eight years ago, and starting to understand that how we were, how the other parts of the country were starting to see some green shoots and so forth. You first sort of heard that by going there and speaking to people in other parts of the United States and hearing what's happening in their in their marketplaces, who wasn't doing well, who was doing well, um, and it gives you a lot of perspective from a from a from a national or global perspective on real estate. We're not an island, and we are an island, but we're not an island in in of, of itself in terms of how we operate. And you feel
1: it's enhanced our relationship with um, <clears throat> the rest of the firms that participate Absolutely. also who do not participate. I know people say to me all the time when they see our leading RE on the bottom of you know signatures and stuff, wow, what is that? Or isn't that a cool thing? So I think it's out there and people do recognize.
5: Well, it surely gives us a global reach that's sort of unparalleled. It gives us a real global reach with real people in, in, in countries, you know, in in. in both nationally and and, and and countries around the world. But it's also but it's about you know and part of the reason when we go to these the events and so forth is that you get to make real relationships with people and get to meet the people in the other areas. So it does give you a little bit of a perspective and a leg up on that. Stephanie, you wrote in one of your publisher notes uh, for the
1: magazine at the top of the real estate market, this deep personal connection is at the heart of everything we do because often the decisions we make are not just financial, but in fact, very emotional. I bet you I can ask any one of the agents that are sitting around the table here this morning uh, about the same thing, because we've all determined that there's more emotion uh, involved than, than anything else. So, c- Explain what you mean by that or what you meant by that when you wrote that in, your, uh, in the latest magazine, I think it was.
3: Sure, and I'm thrilled to know you read it. Um, it um, it's a great I example. I <laughs> I love it. Um, that that specific article was about the concept of a sense of place, and it was. And, and I'm sure. I wish I was in the room to see the faces because I know you all know this feeling, right? But it's the sense that when you walk in a space, you just know that space is the right space for you. And I think when we're talking about a discretionary purchase, which ultimately luxury is, and anything at the high end of the real estate market or any market, frankly, we, we do a lot of research about other luxury brands and industries and trends there as well because when when you're choosing luxury and when you have the luxury to afford luxury, you don't you aren't making a decision based on shelter. It's based on emotion. <clears throat> so it's based on how a space makes you feel, how it enhances your life and it's really um the indulgence and the ability to be able to do that that's really what luxury is. and so, you know, it's a, it's a, putting your finger on sort of that little bit of um, the emotional connection that you get with luxury.
4: Um,
1: and luxury real is far more than a transaction also and it's about the living the life that you deserve. So following on the on, on the point you just made, can you explain that to our listeners? It's, it's, it's more about living the life that you deserve than No not.
3: question. Right. Well, I mean, I think that that's what, um, when you have the ability to pursue the life that you deserve, we know that... You know, so many affluent people today, they have money because they earned their money. They didn't necessarily inherit it. Now, we're beginning to see a shift in that as the demographics change, and Paul talks about demographics um, geographically, but we're, you know, with the with the sources of wealth in the United States, we know that a significant number of people made their own wealth. They didn't inherit it. And so when people make their own wealth, they work really hard for it. And so that's a way that they can justify you know, spending a lot of money for a property, maybe even more money than they ever thought they would because they deserve it. And at the end of the day, they do deserve it. So I talk about that shift though, you know, this is people who have made their money, but um, we're beginning to see that the demographics are changing because as people age, they're beginning to gift their money to their children and grandchildren. And so we're starting to see a new generation of people that um, have inherited wealth and I think they're going to make decisions differently. And so as we see millennials and younger buyers moving back more to urban areas, I think that they're, you, you hear and read a lot about people making decisions, younger buyers making decisions less emotionally and more practically. And um, I think we're going to, as the population changes and wealth shifts, we're going to see the way people make decisions change too. It's fascinating to watch.
1: Yeah, I, I've yeah. said for years... <clears throat> that uh, real estate, really, at least here in New York, where I have experience, is more selling a lifestyle than it is selling an apartment or making a transaction or a deal, or whatever. It's selling a lifestyle, and that really depends upon the people who are involved in that. So, uh, we have a couple of minutes left. Tell us, uh, uh, Stephanie, about the Luxury Portfolio International uh, magazine ah. that um, I look forward to looking at as often as it comes out. What about that makes it so? Interesting to the people out there who, who love luxury real estate.
3: Sure. Yeah. Well, the so luxury portfolio is <clears throat> essentially the luxury marketing division of Leading RE, and so um, of the con- the companies that are part of the network that is Leading RE, a certain percentage of them oft- often are also enroll in the luxury portfolio program. So we have about two hundred and fifty of the 500, 600 companies today that are part of Leading RE are also part of Luxury Portfolio. So in order to be part of Luxury Portfolio, you also have to qualify. So same as with Leading RE, with Leading RE, you have to qualify based on market share and commitment to quality. In the Luxury Portfolio, you have to qualify in terms of the amount of luxury inventory that you have. and. As a company and a culture within leading RE, the company has to be committed to doing luxury business and really doing business in the high end. And so, once the company qualifies for luxury, then the company enrolls at the company level, and then the agents have access to a series of tools and benefits that um, then, you know, flow to the consumer. So we have a website. We have a lot of marketing materials that agents can take advantage of, um, ways that they can reach the affluent consumer and market their properties, market themselves. And the Luxury Portfolio magazine is the, really the most tangible um, a manifestation of those benefits. And so it's a magazine that we put out twice a year. We distribute it to over 70 countries. Um, and then our agents have the ability to gift it to their clients. And so uh, it's a really, it's been a wonderful tool for us. Um, we do it twice a year. It comes out in uh, approximately February and then approximately August every year. So the next edition is coming out shortly. And uh, we really focus on, as you said, marketing lifestyle. So it's it's all about Telling the stories of the properties that we're marketing, but also focusing on living the luxury lifestyle. So anything in the high end, um, not just real estate, but everything around this space, because we understand it's not just a transaction.
1: All right. Paul Boomsma, Stephanie Anton, thank you so much um, for joining us today. I hope to meet you guys. I I might have met you in, in February last year in Las Vegas. I don't really recall, but I hope to see you again someday down the road. And Richard Grossman, always thank you, but you're going to stick around for a little while longer. We have to go to break. We'll be back right after these messages. Don't go away.
0: stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast all the time the number 1 internet talk station where your opinion counts voiceamerica.com american heroes network is a program for and about our american veteran heroes and their families Join host Gary Ray as he shows what is being done to help our veterans and showcase the companies and organizations that are helping our veterans and their families rebuild their lives. Listen for American Heroes Network, live and powered by the Voice America Variety Channel, every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco If you want to call into the program we're toll free in North America at 1-866-472-5788 That's 1-866-472-5788 Now, back to the show Alright anybody
1: we are back and our panel is with us Ari Harkov from Halstead, Louise Phillips Forbes from Halstead, Anna Shagalov from Halstead, <laughs> Matthew Cohen from CORE, Sean Atterberry from CORE, Sean McPeak from Halstead, and Richard Grossman, our president at Halstead, is going to stick around with us. So, moving right along, local real estate became a buyer's market in 2018, displaying all of the inconsistencies that have plagued the industry for much of the year. A new report by Warburg Realty Underscores, just how uh, we're looking to sell uh, no, I'm sorry. How those looking to sell have been pushed to reconsider strategies through negotiations, price reductions, and incentives. So the whole scheme has been changing during October and November. Sellers found themselves relenting on pricing and adjusting to the buyer's market, with prices overall down. As I said at the top of the show, between 10 and 20 percent since the high of summer of 2015, according to a survey of 2,500 listings. 49 percent of co-ops, 45 percent of condos, and 5 percent of townhouses all had price reductions. So my question basically is, what are your predictions as feet on the street in this metropolitan New York City area? What are your predictions for 2019? I mean, I had an, an unbelievable December of 2018, so I sit there and think, well, so maybe that says to me... Things are starting to roll. Sellers are starting to to get in line with where the pricing should be. Buyers, they've been in a buyer's market for a while, but maybe the urgency is starting to kick in just a little bit, because typically the month of December, with all these holidays involved, are not really good selling months. Okay, so prove that wrong in December. However, what is it going to be like in 2019?
6: Well, I, I, I am very bullish in the market, particularly the first two quarters. You know, I think it's truly a call to action for both buyers and sellers. And distress, as they were talking about it, you know, in a reflection from the international market of what we're going through, actually, for every distressed moment, there's an opportunity for someone else. And I believe that first-time buyers, if you want to own in New York City, you are going to need to pull the trigger. So they have to get off the fence. If you're concerned about the market you know, as as the cost of money goes up, you are going to find that the prices are going to be pressured to come down. But you have to understand what your motivation is. For those like myself and the baby boomers that have ton of equity in their homes, it is absolutely the best time to upgrade so you can buy your money and lock in the cost of that money
7: for the next 10 years. Especially since interest <coughs> rates just came down. They did. Which is well, going to be the game. That's, that's,
6: that's going to be the game. So yeah. they're really... It may not be right. Like I have people who are going to sell their home because what it's worth today is going to be more than what it's going to be tomorrow. Mm -hmm. And some of them may need to wait before they make the decision to buy. But that's part of the conversation for each individual. But it's a roll
7: of the dice how long they're going to be waiting. Because, I mean, as much as we like to make predictions, we don't have a crystal ball. And if you think back to Lehman... Or even nine eleven, we bounced back way faster than anybody expected we us to. We led
6: the we led the market led
7: nationally, it. exactly, and that's
6: through the so fostering of people interest. People are rates. saying
7: two to four years before we recover. I, I'm not I'm not on that bandwagon at all. As a matter of fact, I completely agree with you, Louise. Where there is such opportunity for buyers right now, I don't think the market is is the market is just different. It's it's changed in. In the, the mentality, especially us as brokers, how, how we have to advise and where we need to focus our energies, because there is definitely business to be had. It's just a different way of looking at it, and the good brokers are going to understand how to navigate that and how to move forward with it and how to make it work. You have Do, to want to own. Can,
5: yes. Can I also maybe also sort of parse a sort of a difference here? There may be recovery in the marketplace at lower prices. Recovery doesn't necessarily mean there's active To me, a recovery means there's more activity in the marketplace and volume is up. It will not necessarily mean that prices are up yet. So what we may first see is people buying. We'll go back to the sort of levels we had before, and we may see that at a lower price point than we had a year or two years it's ago. It's a plateau. It's but it needs to.
7: It needed to. Process. It
1: needed to happen. But talk to me about interest rates because I just had a buyer who hopefully we're closing next week, getting three point two percent interest. Wow, rate. At a very big bank, so you know it's like kinda how, know, kind of how are they buying down? They're gonna you're gonna see
6: people buying down for points. It's that a seven yeah. seven
1: year um uh, seven year arm arm, yeah.
6: 3.2. Well, I mean, that, I would be amazing. paying more money for a longer arm, personally, because I came in the I was business gonna say when it was 12.4%. Yeah. Yes,
7: well, yeah.
8: same here. Just I to would, too. In you. seven
7: years in this in this town, especially, it goes by really yeah, fast. And,
8: and there's, Correct. A, yeah. there's a tremendous opportunity right now, especially with the recent drop in rates and the negotiability of uh, developers holding a lot of units right now. They're under time pressure to sell. And there is an opportunity for a buyer to come in, get a 10% discount on, let's say, an asking price, and then also lock it in with a low interest rate. I mean, it's a tremendous time to buy Smart right buyers,
7: now. smart buyers, because there's a lot of buyers that are trying to feel things out, and they're going to be the ones that that come into the market too late. They're, this is where this right. is where right. you make these your you money, is in a
8: down market. So, and, and and I, that, well,
7: is, they don't know correct. how far down it's going because they're reading the New York Times, and they're reading all these – Doomsday articles, well,
6: gonna, which, which is confusing, ba- which is bounce muddying like the waters. Like a
8: like a bouncy ball, it's going to yes. be it's going to be a very very quick rebound. I you agree. know
6: Josh Barbenau called me from the New York Times because I, you <clears throat> know, released my predictions and I was very bullish. And he was like, "What do you mean? Why? I mean, why am I going to buy an apartment or what? You know, when tax reform is really starting to roll in to play? Um, to play? There's a big sell off that's happening." In the stock market, and I was like, look, anybody that I've been working with that have been waiting for the last 12 months to buy has already liquidated their assets. And so they sold and liquidated and held those. And you have to want to own in New York City Mm -hmm. because you don't have to. It's a city of renters.
9: It doesn't help them sell newspapers if it's not a doomsday report, but the reality is it's… It well, is, and, we've, and we've gone through that
1: many, many times. I remember at the start mm-hmm. of my career, I forgot what year it was, we had a down market. And I remember thinking those are the days where we used to read the New York Times, you know, hard copy, and we'd run to the real estate section every week. And I used to say to myself and, the, and my peers who sat around me in our up, uptown office, and I'd be like, you know, why is the press so negative about? This marketplace. If Felt they would papers? only oh, yeah. just shut oh, up, as long Trump as they place? terrify they you, they will sell papers. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah, Who? They have a fiduciary <laughs> responsibility
9: <laughs> to make people <laughs> buy papers, keep the TV on. Absolutely. And if, if the report is everything's pretty good and it's pretty stable, right? But, turn and, it and, and, and if, and if they say outside, if they
7: publish something positive and then it doesn't happen, they're gonna, you know, it, it kind of makes them look like they know the what they're talking about. I think will come
9: in waves. I think you're going to yes.
8: see a very, very, very strong rental market. In the beginning of this year, You're, is, there is no inventory, especially on the kind of mid, mid-tier to lower end. There is no inventory right now, and it's yeah. going to and it's going to re- result in an increase in prices, as does most rental markets when an interest rate rise occurs.
1: I also happen to think that people like negative news. I don't care of what course. anybody says; they love to pick oh, up the, the, drama. the negative drama, drama, the headlines, the whatever. You know how they process that within their own mind. I don't know, but if it turns out to be more more buying or not. But I think people do like that negative news kind of concept, and then we go from there. But Ari, I want to ask you, what is your what are your predictions? <laughs> my voice or reason back there? In 2019. <laughs> I'm the voice
10: of reason. Wow. Um, okay. <laughs> I think we should closely watch what's happening in the stock markets. I think what happens in the equities markets is going to now start to track the real estate market. I mean, if you look at New York City from a historical perspective, we generally moved in parallel between the real estate market and the equities markets. Mm-hmm. And then the last couple of years, we diverged as basically um, the, the government you know, brought interest rates down to 0% as a way to fuel the economy. And real estate in New York City was oversupplied, tax reform, interest rates, et cetera. So we went down in the stock market, went up. So we went in a converse movement. Um, I think you're going to now see more close parallel traction, and I think that's starting to happen. So I think if the Dow remains relatively strong and everything with China, everything that's happening, um, sort of, you know, investors are okay, then I think that we'll see more buying activity. I think if the Dow falls below 20000 which it might, then I think you're going to see a very different real estate market. Um, I actually disagree with the comment about the rental Mm -hmm. inventory. I think the rental inventory is actually extremely high. Um, So I think you're going to continue to see softness there. Um, And I also agree with what Richard said, which is I think this this will be kind of a bottom-up recovery in the sense that the lower end price points will recover faster than Mm -hmm. the top end, which is oversupplied. Um, and more of a want market than a need market.
1: And now, Richard, I, so so at the top of the show, I mentioned that the ultra prime, as they're calling it, $25 million and over, seems to have heated up a little bit and there are transactions being recorded so but a lot of the trans-
5: a lot of the transactions being recorded are some of them are new developments that those people went to contract 2 years ago yeah. so they're not really reflective of what's happening in today's market number one and number two is I do think that at the higher end of the market depending upon the neighborhood you're in some of those sellers have gotten you know you know price they've priced they've adjusted their prices to reflect the realities and at the end of the day I mean some of these prices at 25 35 45 million dollars still a lot of money for a piece of property
11: I think I think it's a really exciting time to be in real estate. Um, you know, I think it's a really exciting time to be a broker. I think it's a really exciting time to be a buyer. And I, I you know, of course, sellers are a little down that maybe they didn't sell in two thousand seventeen. But I also think that you know it's an exciting time to be a seller in certain ways because you have a lot of buyers who are coming through your apartments. I mean, you know, much more than last year. I we obviously just went through our first Sunday of the year, but you know, last year all we would talk about is traffic at open houses and how bad it was. And and you know, what I've heard from the first Sunday of the year already was that people had a lot of traffic through their open houses when people aren't even back from the new year. So I think it's just a really exciting time to in general to see all the opportunities from all the different sides.
6: But if you if you're gonna take a look at at sort of what people were experiencing in December and I can speak, you know, and I have a, a my own little mini market because I work in very diverse markets. You know, I had one piece of property that had 19 offers on it, and it yeah. went for $810,000 above the asking price.
7: Priced it right to begin with. And, well,
6: I had a very – strat. we intentionally priced it tight and low because we wanted the efficiency yeah. of the market to happen. But I also believe that there's some iconic transactions that are happening that are off 25 and 30% from 2015. So I think that the luxury buyer is going to recognize – they have the choice. They don't have to, but they want to.
1: But I fear because I have a very high-end buyer who wants to buy in a new development and one he identified and likes. It's two years out from delivery, and he's like, "I'm not waiting two years because I don't even know what's going to happen tomorrow in this marketplace. How no, but can I predict construct- two years? Now? Well, but that's a problem because but, you know you've got a, a development that's got beautiful, you know, apartments that need to sell, and people are hesitant.
10: They because don't want to buy plans anymore.
1: They don't want to buy plans anymore, and they don't want to wait two years.
10: It's a
6: normal cycle, guys.
1: We that's normal. We've had, yeah, we yeah. had
6: an, a growth market for nine years. So well, it that's, is true. that's true. And a construction boom that we haven't seen since the 20s. Yeah. So that is good.
1: All right. So <coughs> let, but moving on before we have to go to break, there's ample choice. There's little incentive to rush. So how do you guys, on the heels of this this conversation, how do you guys motivate your buyers and renters to make a move today? Based on, what is know.
6: right for one individual is not and i said to my clients yesterday and what i said to josh uh, at the new york times was that you know you have to quiet the noise and take what you need and leave the rest what is right for your next-door neighbor is Amen. not right for you and you know the whole thing around yeah. the chemistry about owning and that emotional thing that happens will all be the dominoes obviously the financial and timing all those things they come into play but the the truth is is if you can quiet the noise you know what's right for you as an individual and,
5: and i'm and i'm going to throw one last thing in very quickly you know if you can afford it and you know you want it why postpone buying it oh why you're you're going to you know when you get to a certain age in life you have so many years left to enjoy it <laughs> you might as well enjoy it while you can because if you wait for it you know, you wait three I, I, years to the market goes goes a little bit lower. If you can afford it today, buy it, use it, enjoy it and don't look back. And you can't bottom tick a market. Well, it's impossible. And, and it's by the impossible. way,
6: I, I don't pay know the it highest is coming purchase up. price for every piece of property I've bought. Montauk, Bridgehampton, New York City, I have Woodstock. Too. And I have created more wealth than I've ever made in the real estate that I've sold. And I do a lot of real estate.
1: Amen. We've got to take a break. Coming back right after that, we're live from Blast Stop Productions here in New York. You're listening to Good Morning. Uh, New York real estate, don't go away.
0: The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station.
4: VoiceAmerica.com. It's not easy to make it big in New York City. It's even harder to sustain that success for decades. However, two teams have defied those odds due to their formulas for success. Both have all-star rosters performing at the top of their game. Each have an undying commitment to greatness, a willingness to evolve, superior training programs, and ownership that invests heavily in their products. It only seemed natural for the world's most valuable sports brand to partner with Halstead, a market leader in the New York metro area, and now proudly serving as the official luxury real estate firm of the New York Yankees.
0: Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain inspired really fast. All the time, the number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. Voiceamerica.com. You are listening to Good Morning New York, real estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Now, back to the show. Okay, everybody,
1: we are back, and we're here with Ari Harkov, uh, Louise Phillips Forbes, Anna Shagaloff, Matthew Cohen, Sean Atterbury, Sean McPeak, and Richard Grossman. All right, so here's a question for all of us. What is the snootiest part of New York City? It used <laughs> to be that. the Upper East Side. Blast-off right? productions. <laughs> <laughs> definitely, definitely. No, seriously, because people you know, always have an opinion as to where they want to live where they want to start searching they never usually end up buying in the place that they start usually but but you know I do hear sometimes from
11: people You
7: yeah, know,
1: so
11: is this a snooty neighborhood
1: how do you
7: define what snooty it, what is it it's Manhattan
11: Matthew They're you definitely snooty. want to say something so go right ahead how do you define snooty I think I'm kind of snooty so I don't know, what, you know you know sell your parents an apartment <laughs> yeah yeah like yeah, I think the Upper East is still a little snooty. Side, my my parents are yeah, like, we're it. the most casual people here. Um, I I think the lower Fifth Avenue has a little snootiness outside of the NYU yeah. dorms. Um. I it's even in general. I even think that like where the High Line is, you know, for uh, below Twenty Third, kind of where Cookshop is, is a little snooty. Snooty? Oh yeah, like, I mean, I think
7: it's nice. I don't know that I'd call it snooty. Uh,
11: you know, I think <laughs> it depends. <laughs> I think, I think it depends on like what you're it. walking down the street are wearing down, and like, wearing like what people are telling yeah, you. Th- 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 like, that's, well, that's anywhere. That's another well, right, like, side yeah, yeah. now. That's one of the
6: things oh, I love about the the West Village specifically is that it's never. I mean, it's never really been snooty. No, it
7: was the least, I, and it snooty. could be, and it What's could be the, the people that, totally the people that live there. It could be valuable, yes. real estate,
6: absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Now,
1: if you ask me where the best neighborhood is in New York City, I would say the West Village. I absolutely love that, but or the village in general. But, but I would but, agree. <laughs> no, you're a little biased. Bias. <laughs> I don't live there, but I'm there all the time. But anyway, but 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 seriously, though, the snootiest part. I I don't think there's a neighborhood that's snooty. I think there are pockets of all the neighborhoods around. I think that can, can be. Snooty. Can,
5: can also I also maybe throw in here just a little yeah. different perspective? Yeah. I think that in the last, in, since I've been selling real estate last 35, 36 years in New York City, did there were neighborhoods that were considered snooty or unpro- unapproachable. I think that demographics of New York have changed and I think that Absolutely. where people live and want to live, and I sort of talked about this maybe in the past, when I was a, you know, you know First came into New York, living on the Upper East Side was certainly a mark of success. Having a loft downtown was a mark for success. I think that your millennials generation today, the mark of success, is a townhouse Brooklyn. Is a townhouse in Brooklyn, just like it was a loft in the, in Tribeca was Absolutely. my generation. Correct. Um, I think that the idea of what's sort of cool or snooty, I'm not sure if say snooty is the right word, but what's cool and what's what people desire, that is a very fluid thing. And, it and goes that's where the money forth. goes. I think it's
11: also the definition, like Ari can totally <laughs> vouch on this side I think but Williamsburg you could call snooty because you have a bunch of freaking yes. like rich hipsters like my Lena Dunham who think they're too cool much more
8: snooty yeah. than my neighbors in yeah. uh, some place and my neighbors in the upper or side. in like well, Battery that's, Park that's you, you have
11: snooty parents who like look at me because I don't have a kid and they're like why are you in my neighborhood that's, so I well, like it's you know, that's that's so not pushing a stroller so no you kid, shouldn't no be there, there right? that's what
7: brings the fear of gentrification is that in any different neighborhood it's the fear of snootiness coming in and kind of of changing the demographic and changing the way that people live.
6: And Nine dollar Absolutely, I shops. mean, I
7: look at some of my development projects. So,
6: you know, two forty East Tenth Street, which was the Theater for the New City, which was on First Avenue and Tenth, mm-hmm. had no high rises. And look awesome at it views. today. Yeah. Oh, that oh. building. That yeah. building marked Madison Avenue. Yeah, that marked a change in the East Village. That and fifty Madison yeah. Avenue was an eleven. You know, was an eleven story little building that yeah. became an anchor for the gift building in one Madison. Mm-hmm and 10 Madison. Well,
1: the gift building is is beyond.
7: And
6: so what that's I used to
1: work in the gift building before but, I was but in But literally real there was
6: nothing residential <laughs>
1: exactly.
7: there.
6: So I think those transformations are really exciting and, and they Nomad in general.
7: Nomad? I mean, who would have lived in Nomad 5 years ago? But, exactly. but what, what happened five to years, Brooklyn
6: and is going to happen to Queens to Long Island yes. City? To Sunnyside, to Jamaica, it, it takes and time. also the Bronx. It may take longer in the Bronx, but mark my word. I mean, what I, what's happening in Mont Haven is so groovy in mm-hmm. the art scene. Mm-hmm.
11: Groovy, uh, let's, <laughs> let's, <laughs> groovy. Let's, let's I love
10: that. that
1: term. Down,
11: groovy, damn. I love
1: groovy. Right, Weezy, I'm just let, dating let me, myself. Let me ask you a question. <laughs> just Weezy, brought so it back. What? Let, let's talk about trends, okay? So, what is trending in the townhouse market right now at the start of 2019, and where do you see that going?
6: Well, I think that one of the things that I'm experiencing in, in Brooklyn specifically uh, are those millennial generations really trying to have a, a a two-family home so they can have income and they can eventually mm-hmm. open it up. I've yes. had three of those. You might be able I'm one me. of them, yes. <laughs> yes. So, so
1: we're trending back to the multifamily? Well, it's I
6: think inc- we're trending to
1: <laughs> flexibility. So
6: flexibility. Um, And I also think that we're going to see in 2019 iconic townhouse transactions because they are off so strongly and they are only Mm -hmm. in New York City, 10,800 one to three family homes. So that's 1% of our market. And so it is always going to hold its value. And to have a hiccup the way we've had since 2015 is a opportunity.
10: I'll add one yes. other point. I think buyers today are paying more attention to the carrying costs on their homes than ever before, particularly with tax reform. And if you look at the way the tax code is structured for townhouses, they are significantly under-assessed as compared to comparably priced condos. Agreed. And buyers now are yes. valuing that more than ever before. I mean, mm-hmm. I was on the phone yesterday with a buyer and he was saying, I have this three-family in Park Slope. It's about a $3 million property. I pay $5,500 a year. I'm looking at a two-bedroom downtown that's about a $3 or $4 million two-bedroom. My taxes would be about $30,000 a year. Yes. How does that make any sense well,
6: well amen
10: yeah
11: Hello, I, I also think to add to that, you're going to see a lot more. Um, the townhouse market in Bed-Stuy and Bushwick has been amazing over the last two years, and Absolutely. I think it's just going to get more robust. It's the new I Harlem. think, yeah, I mean, I think that you know, it
8: might go, it the, might even go, take off even more now with the new L train news. Right. coming I mean, yeah.
1: well, that's going to be significant in all of Brooklyn, I think, because I think some, especially Williamsburg, I mean, but everybody it, was sort of on hold because uh,
10: they didn't really. I know think we where should it take going. it with
8: a grain of salt, though, because <laughs> they're essentially adhering to the same timeline, but they're with less downtime right. for the tunnels to make. No and I think sense. a lot of
10: people in Williamsburg and involved in that market are still hesitant as to whether or not this is actually real and is going to happen <laughs> and is going to work. needs to be approved. Is it more
8: political or Make is it news. like did did Cuomo discover like special engineering
10: practices? He wandered the imagine? tunnel, so apparently he found some uh, gold down there. I well, think that's what <laughs> I'm saying I said at the top of the show. Let's hope that it's you know <laughs> yeah people don't believe it. I don't. Think. I, don't no, I don't it. think they're yeah. scarred.
1: Yeah. Anna, what's trending in the Lower East Side, the East Village? Uh,
7: well, it's kind of interesting talking about trending in a market like this. What what I think for the Lower East Side and the East Village, um, there's still a lot coming down the pipeline. So as things are, are, are starting to get built, to be built, and by the time they're actually up and constructed, it's going to be a different market. So it, it's kind of a really, really interesting time to keep an eye on those areas. It's, I mean, Louise is talking about, um, you know, areas in Queens and far out in Brooklyn coming up. Lower East Side, we keep is forgetting. That? It's it's that, but we're on Manhattan Island. We're right there. We're just an f stop away. So these things are going to happen. It's it'll it'll take a little longer. Well, there's kind a lot of, of inventory is coming? Um, for, well, there's a lot. Like there's a, approximate unit. Next, um, you're asking me numbers. Um, Sorry, no. Well, there's 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 three residential towers coming up at two bridges. There's um, and those are going to be rentals. They haven't even broken ground yet because there's some lawsuits and all of that that they're working with. Um, there's um, a number of sites for essex crossing still coming up i mean it's it's changing it's changing the landscape so significantly it, that it, it that really to is. that to not have your eye on it and be thinking about queens and you know all these neighborhoods out in in brooklyn it's kind of remiss. It's kind it's, of silly. It's
8: almost like a Hudson Yards, you know, when you look at the amount
1: of units. But right? there's, I mean, but, there's the it's yeah, but there's, yeah, trans- but
7: there's transportation that goes there. That's there's right there. And You're going to start to see the first wave of growth There's of a thing. neighborhood, and, I think, I think and, neighborhoods
1: yeah. are going to depend in the future really more on transportation than ever before because people become so much more choosy. Sean Atterbury, quickly, what's happening in new developments
9: today? Uh, well, there's abundance, <laughs> plentifulness. <laughs> plentifulness, um, for sure. No, but you know what? If if, if developers uh, aren't being greedy and they saw the writing on the wall and they you know, priced things appropriately or repriced, things are moving. Concessions um, are still happening, correct? Yeah, they happen. I, and, and that's maybe at every level. In new development, what I'm always impressed with my I take buyers is beautiful amenities that were not there in, in right the hosts of uh, new development past um, right now I mean you walk in sometimes multiple floors of beautiful amenities and swimming
6: pools. right you know, the no frills to the to, to the it's to great. The lifestyle. you don't have to
9: leave your, your it's building a whole or have different a it, it's a
1: whole different way to sell in new development today it's not anything like it used to be forget the floor plan you know people don't want to do that even when they're in a building even when they're looking and breathing and touching and smelling the the actual apartment it's a whole different way to sell I've been selling new developments for a lot of years, but you know what? Mm -hmm. I've realized this past year that I had to relearn how to do it because it's, it's, it's not the same. I mean, it's like resale, but it isn't, but it's not like it used to be. And I know it it doesn't sound very clear, but it's a very difficult sell these days because everybody is looking for something. Everybody wants better than the next person. Uh, And oftentimes, I'm finding they don't even know what they want. They just like the unit, but they don't want to pay the price. And so when you say, what do you want? you know, That's a matter of education. It's a matter of timing. Well, that's what I'm saying. So you have to learn how to do it all over again. I remember the days, and I like the days when it was like, this is it. You want it or you don't because there's 10 people behind you. Who will sign up for that? But
6: respectfully, what I love about challenging markets is it it really is an opportunity for us as an industry in a community, to become very collaborative,
1: we get better, and improve our we, worth,
6: and to, to earn our, our keep, more so mm-hmm. than
1: ever. All right, I got to cut us off there. We're down at 20 seconds. We're out of time. That's right. it for me. That's the show for today. Thanks to my guest and panel. As always, shoot for the moon, everyone. Even if you miss, you'll land among the stars. And the only person you should be, you should try to be better than as the person you were yesterday. Be kind to one another. For all of us at Voice America, all around the world. Thanks for joining us, and we will see you next time. Goodbye,
0: everybody. Thanks for tuning in this week. Please join us for another edition of Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco next Tuesday at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Here's hoping all of your transactions are successful ones.